Coastville. Welcome to Coastville Community Church. I'm Pastor Chris. Uh, great to have you with you. Uh, have you with us today? Uh, are you excited that the summer is here finally? Woo, man, I am. I, I can't wait till traffic tomorrow. I'm excited about that. The traffic has so much improved uh, over the summer. Uh, we begin. Here we are, week one of our new series at the movies. Uh, I love, I love the movies. We do. I have a love affair with movies. Uh, how many of you today would call yourself like a movie fanatic? You love the movies. Everybody, a lot of people. Hey, by the way, if you're sitting and you have a, an extra chair near, kind of scoot in and uh, make room, especially on the end. There's a just uh, we got people coming in. We don't want anybody to have to stand up or um, uh, not have a seat this morning, uh, which is great. Hey, by the way, speaking of having to make room for people, uh, we got approved for our loan for our new building this week. Woo! And um, so now we got to pay for that big mortgage. Now, <laughs> anyway, um, now we're excited about that. We're going to be, uh, hopefully, we'll let you know more information uh, as we know it. Uh, we're in the process of uh, going with the city with uh, technical review and permitting and all that. But hopefully, uh, soon we'll be announcing uh, groundbreaking. But um, anybody remember the first movie that you ever went to see as a kid? Shout it out, just a movie, maybe. Uh, for, Okay, Gone with the Wind. Some of you are really old. Okay, I'm sorry. If that is the first movie you remember seeing as a kid. Um, I remember seeing as a kid Bambi, uh, believe it or not, at the old uh, Ultravision movie theater. Anybody remember that if you grew up here in Charleston? Uh, it's right over there where the Moe's is located at now on Sam Rittenberg. Uh, and yeah, I cried when they shot Bambi's mom. But um, I also remember, I didn't see it in the theater, but I remember as a kid watching at home. Uh, the, the Wizard of Oz movie and being freaked out, totally freaked out, um, not by the little people, but by the flying monkeys. And that just really, really scared me. Um, I actually do remember seeing uh, the movie Jaws in the movie theater when it came out. And I am telling you, I, uh, I was absolutely afraid of going to Bali Beach that whole summer. I would not get in the water. I was afraid. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time, and I do remember seeing this in the theater, uh, is the original Rocky movie. Man, I just, I cry every time I see that movie. It's just a great movie, and uh, I love the music. I love it. I just love it. In fact, they had like a, a marathon of Rocky movies last couple of weekends. And I remember seeing that um, at the old Pine Haven uh, movie theater, which is not there anymore, on Rivers Avenue. How many of you remember drive-in movies? Drive-in movies, okay. And, and maybe, uh, again, if you grew up here in Charleston, uh, maybe you remember the drive-in theater on Rivers Avenue. Uh, before they start showing porn. <laughs> so, um, although I remember, I do remember, not that I went, but I do remember when, when they showed that, you see people hanging out like the overpass, trying to get a, trying to get a view anyway. Um, but uh, it, for some of you might not know this, a little bit of trivia here. Uh, this property, 460 Arlington Drive, actually used to be a drive-in movie theater years and years and years ago. And that's what those kind of, if you kind of look at the parking lot in the field over there, you kind of see the rolling hills in, in the field because this used to be a drive-in movie theater. Maybe some of you remember the dates that you went on at the movies, you know, taking that, that someone special to a uh, out on a date to the movies. Uh, when Jan and I were in college, uh, we were uh, so broke. How broke were we? We were so broke that um, we would actually get this. We would go to the dollar movie theater with a buy one, get one free coupon. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Yeah, we were, we're still broke. But um, anyway, but on date night today, I mean, Jan and I, we still love going to the movies. And if we can find a movie that the whole family will agree on, we, we like going to the movies together as a family. But how many of you are that family? Come on, we're going to have a little bit of confession time here that you sneak food and 
uh, contraband into the theater. Come on, raise your hand. The rest of you are just liars. You know you do that. You know, I, I'll be honest with you, we are that family. I'm, I hope and pray they don't pat us down because I wear as big a shirt, big a pants as we can. I tell Jan to bring a big old bag. We have brought hamburgers, french fries, Arby's five for five. Like, I'm not joking. We, we bring it all. I'm, my goal is to get like a little George Foreman grill and bring that in there. Um, anyway, uh, but 2014, the truth is, it's almost like you don't have to go to the theater anymore with, you know, huge screen, high-def televisions at home, and, and now you've got uh, Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime, where you don't even have to leave your house. Now, I'm going to make a statement, and I'm, I'm going to stand by this. I do believe that our culture today, the world that we live in, really does have a love affair with the movies. In fact, I will go as far as to say this that a lot of our culture gets a lot of what they happen to believe about life, uh, about God even, about spirituality from the movies they watch and the music that they listen to. I think that's a true statement. I, the, a lot of the culture today gets a lot of what it believes about God, about spirituality, even about life from the movies they watch and the music they listen to. That's how powerful this medium is. Now, don't get me wrong, and, I, and don't confuse this today. I'm not saying they get it right. In fact, they get it wrong most of the time. But through movies and through music, they are asking questions, and they are raising issues. You can see it in the movies that are being produced today. Now, here's the good news. As a follower of Jesus, guess what? We have the answers. I mean, they are asking questions. They are asking questions about God and about life and about spirituality. They're, they're not, you know, the answers that they're providing aren't necessarily right, but we've got answers. So here's what we should be doing, I believe, as Christ followers and as a church. Instead of imitating the culture, instead of condemning the culture, instead of ignoring the culture. Now, that's basically what we tend to do. We'll go at extremes on that. You know, we'll just completely act like we have no spiritual sensitivity whatsoever and nothing really matters and we're okay with everything that we see and hear and watch in movies and in music. Or we'll go to the other extreme and just condemn everything and point fingers and cast judgment or we'll just put our head in the sand and hope that it all goes away and Jesus will come back. Okay? Now, instead of doing those things, why not instead... Do what Jesus did. Engage the culture. Redeem the culture. I mean, get into a conversation with our friends and with our neighbors and talk about the issues that are being brought up and being raised. That's what Jesus did. And I think that's what true followers of Jesus ought to be doing. I think that's what the church ought to be doing. In fact, you know, we're all familiar with John 3, 7, uh, 3, 16. Verse 17 says this. For God did not send his son into the world to what the world? To condemn it, but to what? Save the world through him. Now, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did in Acts chapter 17 in the city of Athens. He, he showed up to this city, and honestly, he was kind of appalled by what he saw. All this idolatry, all these statues to all these different gods. And then, in fact, he, they wanted to make sure they had all the gods covered, so they actually had a statue to the unknown god, okay? And so, but instead of just being, you know, judgmental and legalistic, he, he actually used their culture 
he used the, the altar to the unknown God as an opportunity to talk about Jesus and to talk about the one true God. Now, the Bible does say that he was deeply troubled in his heart by what he saw. But instead of just stopping there, he used the very medium that they used, and he pointed people to Jesus. He engaged the culture. He redeemed the culture. I think that's what we should be about today. I think that's what this series is all about. That's what we try to do an awful lot here at Coastal. Now, the truth is, you might be deeply troubled by what you see in the world today. I, I think we, you know, I'm deeply troubled. There's a lot that, that should bother us. Now, you might even be deeply troubled or bothered by what you happen to see or hear or watch in a particular movie. Now, instead of going to extremes where, you know, you're just, you know, you have no spiritual discernment, you know, no inner conscience where nothing bothers you, never being troubled by what you see, instead of going to that extreme or just the opposite, acting like, quite frankly, a stereotypical, judgmental, legalistic, finger-pointing, Westboro-hating whack job, you know, that the world, by the way, thinks we are. I mean, that's how they view most followers of Jesus. We're just judgmental, we're hateful, we're legalistic. You know, why not instead engage the culture? Just have a conversation with people about the issues that are being raised, the themes that, that you see in a particular movie. That's what we're going to do. You know, for the next six weeks, we're going to take a look at some truth uh, that's being brought up, some themes that are being raised in recent or current movies. Now, again, don't misunderstand what we're going to do. Don't confuse what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be preaching from a movie script or a comic book or anything like that. If you know Coastal, that's not what we do. We try to give people truth, grace and truth, love and truth. And so these movies are that we're going to use, all they are is hooks. They're just a tool to talk about a greater theme, a bigger theme, or an issue that might be raised in our culture. And then what we're going to do is just open up God's Word and spend most of our time boldly proclaiming the truth. Because I think that's what people want. I think they want to hear truth. So, let's get started. Today I want us to use the movie, uh, the new X-Men movie. How many of you have seen any of the X-Men movies? Raise your hand, any of them. Uh, that's what I guess, because in the last 14 years, get this, there have been seven X-Men movies. I mean, there's nothing original in Hollywood, the truth is, okay? You know, if it works, man, let's just do it. Let's do it again, let's do it again. Um, I don't know if you can name all the movies, but I wrote them down here. Uh, the first one, X-Men, X2, that was real original, X2. Um, X-Men, The Last Stand, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, X-Men First Class, The Wolverine, and then the current movie, X-Men Days of Future Past. Now, there are all kinds of themes in, that, in this particular movie and then in the, in the broad series itself. And we could go a lot of different directions, and I could preach and talk about a lot of different stuff. I mean, uh, discrimination, diversity, th those are obvious themes, acceptance, free will, revenge. You know, you see that all interwoven throughout the series. Another big theme, obviously, would be good versus evil, right? You got Charles Xavier, and he believes that, you know, all of these mutants or X-Men have been given a particular superpower or gift. 
And then most of their lives, though, they've, been, they've had to kind of blend in or, or try to hide their gift, to hide their power that they've been given. But he believes that really what they need is support and training, and then they could use their power for the benefit of humanity, for the greater good. And that's the battle that all of these X-Men and mutants face. Are they going to use their power for good or for evil, for destruction or for salvation? So that's an obvious theme. Another theme, and it's a theme that I see in the movie and, and in the series itself, and it's really what I want us to talk about today. And it's, it's an obvious fit for today, and you'll see that here in just a moment. Um, and it's this. It's this theme of our need for community. Our, the greater need that we have for friendship. That it's this idea that we are stronger together. We are better together. That we need each other. You know, in the current movie, after years of war, millions and millions have died. The world's a mess. Uh, Professor Xavier, Magneto, Wolverine, and just a handful of mutants are still breathing, still hanging on, still surviving, and most of their survival is being accomplished by their ability to work together. And then the hide from the what? Does anybody know what they're called? The Sentinels, if you've seen the movie. This is not a spoiler alert or anything. By the way, he dies in Vietnam. Anyway, uh, just joking. The Sentinels, well, maybe I'm not. I don't know. Okay. Um, but these Sentinels, they're like these mutant killers that were created and sent out by the government to eliminate the mutant threat, and they have the ability to adapt their form to resist all these different superpowers that are thrown at them. Now, the last hope for the mutant existence is for Wolverine to go back in time, and you'll see how that plays out, and to figure out a way to stop these deadly robots from ever being created in the first place. And for somebody like me, because I see a lot of movies, it kind of has that you know, Terminator feel, right? You know, going back in time and trying to create the mess, you know, stopping it from happening. But anyway, Wolverine's real challenge, though, and you see this over and over again in every movie, it's to get everybody to kind of work together. You know, that, that it's not all about one person and one person's powers, that they're really going to defeat evil, and if they're really going to accomplish something great, they need to work together. And so there's this constant, you know, push to try to get everyone to, to work together and to be together. And in many ways, I see that as my challenge here. You know, over and over and over again, it's to get you to see how you were created for community, that God made you for something bigger than yourself. But, but it's not just, you know, that we need each other, that together we can accomplish more. And that nobody should be a lone ranger. Listen, I love, I absolutely love, 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 love what we do here week in and week out here at Coastal Community Church. I mean, I love the worship. I love the music. I love seeing new people. I love watching new people come to faith. I love sharing the gospel. I mean, it, it just bothers me that anybody could ever miss what happens here on Sunday morning. I love attracting a crowd. I, I think we ought to try to get as many people as possible together and, and share the gospel with them. And I think Jesus did that. Jesus attracted a crowd. There's nothing wrong with large numbers of people. Jesus drew large numbers of people. The early church grew very large, very fast. However, there is one weakness or problem with just a crowd. It's hard to grow in a crowd. You know, you don't, you don't really live out your faith in a crowd. You, you need community. And you and I were actually created for that. 
We were made, you know, I don't believe that people come to Coastal just looking for a friendly church. I think they come looking for friends. Now, where at Coastal do we think you best have the opportunity to live out community? What do we call that here at Coastal? Life groups. Oh, and guess what? We're starting a new semester of life groups this week. But I love our life groups. I love getting together with a, a smaller group of people. I love the community that I've experienced over the years in our life groups. And I think for many of you, that, you know, we talk a lot about next steps here at Coastal. You know, maybe for some of you, truthfully, the next step really is to, to come here on a more regular basis and commit to the crowd here at Coastal, to be a part of what happens here week in and week out, and to start coming regularly and experience worship and learning and teaching and all that's great. But what I'm encouraging many of you to do is to take that next step and move from the, from the crowd into community. You know, I love that personally, I have what I call three o'clock in the morning friends because I've been in a life group with, with, with many of you. I love that, you know, if, if something happened, if I get thrown in jail, you know, so I got people I can call at three in the morning. You know, I, I, I love that I know your story. I know many of your stories and you know mine because we've been in a life group together over the years. I love that the first call that many people make here at Coastal when they are in need and they do need help is their life group members. They're, they're, they're fellow life group uh, members or, or their life group leader. They don't call me. You know, we're beyond that point where I can care for everybody here at Coastal, personally, individually. I love that over the years, many of you have developed lifelong friends because you've been in a group together. You've done life together with that group of people. Now, again, it just so happens that, you know, miracle of miracles that a new semester of life group starts this week. And I, I just want to be as straightforward as I can and upfront as I can by what I want to accomplish today. And that is, I want everybody here at Coastal to take that next step in your spiritual journey. And for many of you, that next step is to move from a crowd to community in a life group. And I want to challenge you to, to make the time to reprioritize your life and to be a part of a group. You know, the summer semester, as Scott said, it really is kind of the shorter semester of the year. And it really is designed kind of just to give you kind of a taste of what doing life is all about in a group. Um, I think you could do anything, in, you know, for four to six weeks. Uh, and, and it's time. It's time for you to get connected. It's time to develop friends. You know, I do believe that Coastal is a very, very friendly church. And I think most of you would probably agree with that. I mean, we work hard at that. We don't, you know, we don't always knock that out of the park, but we really, we have an awesome first impressions team and week in and week out, we do our very best to create an environment where you feel welcome and you feel at home. But I think deep down in your heart, you know you're looking for more than just that. I think your need is for friends. And you know, you see that in something as silly or simple as a movie, but I think we see it in real life. And so really quick today, I'm going to give you five opportunities that you'll have if you'll take the next step, commit to Coastal, and even take the next step and commit to a life group. Number one, you'll have the opportunity to give and receive encouragement. If you're taking notes, write that down, the word encouragement. You and I need that. Look at what the Apostle Paul said about it in Romans 1.12. He said, I am eager to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. And this way, each of us is going to be a blessing to the other. This verse says that 
you know, encouraging other people, encouraging another person, giving a kind word to another person is the way in which we are a blessing to each other. Now, I don't know about you, but nothing lifts my spirit personally more. You know, when, 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 I'm, when, I'm, when I'm in the dumps, I mean, when I'm having a bad day, and just somebody comes alongside of me and offers an encouraging word. Now, the opposite of that is discouragement, criticism, judgment, that, that, that harsh or discouraging word. I mean, we all know this, said at the right time or the wrong time, you know, has, has the power to just crush a spirit. Now, here's the truth. Whether you're at work or at home or at school or in the community, sometimes even with family, are we around more people who encourage us or discourage us? Which one? Discourage us. I mean, the truth is we're around more people that put us down, criticize us, judge us, than we are people who try to encourage us and make us better. Now, the truth is we need to be around people who encourage us. Let me, so let me ask you, do you have a group of people in your life that no matter what's going on in your life, they're going to be there for you, and they're going to try to help you along and lift you up when you need it. Now, the truth is, that's what the church is for. That's what we're to be all about. And I know some of you maybe have had a bad experience in the past at a church, and maybe that's why you've left church for a long period of time. And the truth is, sometimes we don't do a good job at this. But this is what we're supposed to be about. In fact, look at Hebrews 10.25. A lot of people will quote this verse when, when, they're, when they want to judge people for missing church. And, you know, you want to be in church every time the doors are open. And they'll say, and so the verse is, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And so there is some truth there that we do need to meet together. We need to be together regularly. Don't give up on that habit. But the real important, the emphasis on this verse is not just on the meeting together, but what should happen when we are meeting together. And he says, but let us what? Encourage one another. He said that's the focus when you gather together. You, when you come here on Sundays, man, this should lift you up. This should be encouraging. So he says you do that by coming together. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about community, not just the crowd, community. And it's possible that you don't have that when you go to a church. Because community is what develops over time when you do life with a group of people. You get to know them. They get to know you. That takes initiative. It takes time. It takes intentionality. Listen, you could be in a crowd. In fact, you could go to a church every week for years and years and years and still be lonely because you never got to know anybody. Now, what about you? Are you an encourager? I mean, when you come here on Sunday mornings, when, you, when we gather together, when you're in a life group, when you're at home with your, with your family, when you're at work, are you a discourager or an encourager? Parents, man, we have so much power in the words that we speak over our kids. What about it? Man, there's no better place to receive encouragement and to give encouragement, by the way, than in the local church but I will go further and say that in a life group. Number two, if you join a life group, if you become a part of the family here, you're going to have the opportunity to give and receive comfort. Comfort. Now, I know those words sound alike, and they are very similar, but, but they are different as well. Because you can give encouragement at any time. 
But comfort really comes when somebody is facing a difficult situation. When somebody's experiencing a loss. When somebody, you know, is just going through something, you know, a failure. When somebody's missed out on something big. Now, let's be honest. Some of you are very good encouragers, but you struggle with this one. You struggle with offering comfort. I think a lot of men struggle with being comforters. Do you know why? Because we're not really comforters. Men tend to be fixers. You know, if, if your wife comes to you with a problem, many times as a man, your first reaction is not comfort. It's, okay, how can we fix this problem? You know, well, if you do this, this, and this, we could fix this. Problem solved. And you feel like you've done something great, and your wife is crying in the corner, okay? Wow, way to go, you know, big man. Woo, okay. Um, but that's not what comforting is. You know, and what I've learned over the years with my wife, Janet, is that's not what really what she needed right then. You know, maybe at some point there's a problem that can be fixed, but right then and there, she needed empathy. She needed listening, you know, when she's going through that trial or that difficulty. She just needs someone to listen. Now, one of the great ways that God uses to comfort us is by sending people into our lives to care for us during a loss, during a difficult time. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.4. It says this. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can what? Comfort others. You receive comfort from God, and he does that so that you can pass that on to somebody else. Now, the reality is every person in this room is going to face a loss or a difficulty, or a pain, or a trial sometime in this life. Everybody in this room is going to lose a loved one. Nobody is exempt. And so God says the safety net, one of the safety nets that he planned for your life is the church. And I will go even further than that and say that a group of believers within that church that are committed to you. Here's God's plan. Over and over again you see this. 1 Corinthians 12 if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. The Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice. By the way, sometimes we even have a difficult time doing that, don't we? I mean, somebody scores a win, somebody has a blessing, and we're ticked off about it. Man, shame on us. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And there's no better place to do that than in a life group. In the church, in a life group, I'm going to have the opportunity to give and receive motivation motivation. There are times in all of our lives when we need to be motivated and take action. When we need to be motivated, whether it's at work or at school or in our personal lives, you know, to exercise, to get healthy. But most importantly, everybody at some point needs a little motivation to grow up spiritually. We need somebody in our lives to help us be that better person. Be that man of God. Be that woman of God. To be the person that God created you to be. In fact, I love this verse of Hebrews 10, 24. Just the verse just prior to what we just read. I love this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Man, I love that phrase. Spur one another on. He says our job is to uh, think through how we can spur one another on toward action, toward love and good deeds. In fact, listen to some of these other uh, translations of, the, of that verse. The King James Version says, how we may provoke one another. The, the English Standard Version says, stir one another up. The New American Standard, to stimulate 
one another. It's a very active phrase. In fact, again, it's a, it's a little bit more uh, intense than just encouragement. He's talking about motivation. It's, it, he's describing like a great coach or a great friend who knows just what you need at the right time in the right way. I mean, maybe at some point you happen to need somebody to kick you in the butt a little bit to get you going. That's what he's talking about here. You know, spur one another on. Stir one another up. You know, maybe you need somebody, the right person at the right time to come and to light a fire underneath your butt and get moving. Or maybe you just need a friend to come alongside you and to do it with you. Maybe you need an inspirational story or, or an example from the past. But we need that, that, that motivation. We need, we need to be around a group of people who will do that for us in our spiritual lives. And we need to do that for other people. Look at what God says about being around the wrong people. 1 Corinthians 15, And this was the verse that, you know, parents like quoting to their kids, you know, when they're hanging out with the wrong crowds. But there's truth in this. Listen to this. Don't be misled. In other words, don't be, you know, uh, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked by Satan. Bad company corrupts good character. Um, there's truth to that. Listen. You will never grow to, the per, to become the person that God wants you to be until you're surrounded by the right people. And you say, well, and I know this is a little bit, there's a line that we walk here because the reality, especially here at Coastal, I mean, what are we always saying? Listen, build redemptive relationships. Be a friend with, with somebody that doesn't know the Lord. Somebody who thinks they could never show up in a church because the walls would come crumbling down or something. And, you know, I mean, just find the, the most reprobate pagan person in your life and be a friend. And you say, well, Pastor Chris, how can I do that? You're, this verse says, what, what I'm talking about here, what this verse is talking about is who are those intimate people in your life that are your closest friends? Because be careful with those people. Make sure you're surrounded by people who actually help you to grow, to become a better person. In other words, who are the people who are influencing you, not the people that you're influencing? He says, do those people in your life, do you have people in your life that are motivating you to grow up spiritually? If not, he says, find another group of people to hang out with. You need that. And there's no better place to find that type of team than in a church and in a small group. Number four, I'll have the opportunity to give and receive help. Everybody needs help from time to time. Everybody. I don't care who you are. There are going to be times in your life where you can't get it done all by yourself. You were never intended to carry all the burdens of this life, whether it's relational burdens, financial, jobs, school, on and on and on. Sometimes some of you are weighed down by stuff that just makes you feel like you're going to collapse and you need some other people who can step in be a help to you. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says this, two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. They get a better return for their labor. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But listen to this. This is so sad. But the people who are alone, when they fall, they're in real trouble. You know, from time to time, and I've experienced this, I've seen it, in a life group, when somebody has fallen down, they're in trouble and they need help in one area or another there were some people there and we rallied around that person and we helped them through that trial through that time of need number five 
finally, in the church and in the life group, you'll have the opportunity to give and receive prayer. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and what? Pray. Pray for each other so that you can be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person, listen to this, has great power and wonderful results. Why, why is that? Well, because prayer brings God into the situation. You know, another reason prayer I think is so important is that it just shows genuine love and concern. I mean, so often, let's be honest, we're surrounded by a lot of people in our lives that just come across, I think the word is indifferent, where they really don't care. And I think sometimes we kind of use prayers very flippantly, and I've, I've tried to learn not to do this in my own ministry, in my own life, because you know, I have a lot of people that ask me, Pastor Chris, will you pray for me, or pray for this, or pray about this situation? Somebody will call me up, and one of the things that I've tried to get into the habit of doing is go, okay, let's pray right now. Because the truth is, I'll forget about it later, you know. But like, if we can just pray right, let's pray. Let's pray together. I mean, let's go into my office. Let's bow heads. Let's swing. You know, I don't care where we are, what we're doing. Man, if you need somebody to pray for you, let's do it. Let's pray together. And in a moment, what happens? Not only does that bind our hearts together, but what happens? And not only does it does it bring God, you know, God to bear in the situation, but it lets that other person know that, you know, somebody's just not indifferent to what's going on in their life. You can find that in the church, and you can definitely find it in a life group. Now look back at your outline really quickly. We, we need this. You need this. We all need all five of these things. We need encouragement. We need comfort. We need help. We need motivation, and we need prayer. Why? Because we need each other. And that's what the church was created for, and that's what we were created for. Now before I close, I want to I hit one more theme. And again, it's so appropriate for today. I want to hit this really quick before we close. And you definitely see this all throughout this whole X-Men series. You know, each, each mutant, each alien, you know, at some point wrestles with uh, going public with who they are. And just admitting it and coming clean and, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, they, they've been given these special powers and they're afraid of letting people know who they really are. They're afraid of being different. They're afraid of persecution. They're afraid they won't be accepted. Well, listen to me. Did you know that the Bible says that if you are a follower of Jesus, you ready for this? You're an alien. Okay, turn to your neighbor, right? Turn to the person next to you and say, you're an alien. Go ahead and do that, okay? Now, let me prove it to you. First Timothy, some of you were single people were wanting to tell that guy or girl that you're straight. I mean, you were wanting to do that the whole time. They've been bothering you. Anyway, um, 1 Peter 2.11, listen to this. Dear friends, I urge you as what? Aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. He says, listen, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are an alien. In other words... Let me explain this. Your, this world is not your home, okay? Your citizenship, you don't, not only do you not belong to this world, ultimately not only do you not belong to this country, your citizenship is in heaven. This world's not yours. You don't belong here. You are a missionary in a foreign land. 
you're a missionary. Again, Coastal, we don't just go to church. We what? We are the church, and we're on a mission. In fact, verse 12 goes on to say, so be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they're going to see your honorable behavior, and they will believe you and give honor to God when he comes to judge the world. Now, once you become a believer in Jesus, one of the first ways that Jesus asks you to go public with your faith as an alien in this world is through, you ready for this? We're getting ready to do it this afternoon at 5 o'clock. Is through what? Baptism. Did you know that's what baptism is? It is nothing more than an outward symbol of your faith. It is a physical and a very public way of identifying yourself with Jesus. It's, it's a way of proclaiming. It's like a wedding ceremony. It's like a ring that you wear. It's, it's a way of proclaiming to the world, hey, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to, to, to say to this world that I now belong to Jesus. My life is under new management. Colossians 2.12, in fact, says this, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. In other words, what he's saying, and sometimes I'll quote this passage when we baptize people, I'll say, you are now being buried with Christ through baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. What's he talking about there? Baptism is a beautiful symbol of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So guess what, aliens? You ready for this? You have a chance today to be obedient to God, to follow in the very footsteps of Jesus, and to go public with your faith by being baptized today at Folly Beach County Park at 5 o'clock. What are you waiting on? I mean, if you claim to be a believer and you've not yet been baptized, what's your excuse? Oh, Pastor Chris, you know, it's a little humbling. You know, people will see me. I'm embarrassed. I might get sand in my, well, you know, wherever. Um, you know, I wonder what Jesus could have said when he, hangs up, when he hung on that cross for you. It's a little humbling. People will see me. What's your next step today? That's really the question I want to ask you as, as we close. You know, maybe today it's to become a follower of Jesus. Maybe today it's, it's simply just to come home. And maybe that's what you need to hear loud and clear today. Listen, you know what? We're... We're all just forgiven sinners here at Coastal. And I don't care where you've been or what you've done. God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. Maybe your next step is to make a commitment to this family, to this church family, and to be a part of the crowd here, to be here regularly and you know, to see what happens and to experience it. But I would push you to go even further to take that next step and to move into community and to find a group where you can do life with bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, today, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we were, we were not created to do life alone. And God, I, I realize there are people here today who are hurting and who need some encouragement, who need some comfort, who need hope. 
We need motivation. We need help. We need prayer. Father, I pray they would, they've heard today that they can find that. That is available. It's available in your church, in your church family, and it's available, it's available within groups of people who are willing to do life with one another. They can find that here at Crimson. Father, I pray today that you know, there's somebody here who's ready to come home. They're ready to begin this new life in Christ. They're ready for forgiveness. Listen, if you're here today and you're ready to come home, just cry out to God. It doesn't really matter the exact words that you say. God sees your heart. But maybe you say something like this. Father, today I believe. I believe in your son Jesus. I believe he's your son. I believe you willingly, and I don't understand this all, but you willingly sacrificed him for me, my sin, my screw-ups, put him on the cross. Father, forgive me. I repent today of my sin, my, my former way of life, and I, I turn toward you today. Not only do I believe that Jesus is your son, but I believe that three days later after he was dead, he rose from the dead and he is alive. And God, for the rest of my days, I just want to follow him. Not to earn anything, because I can't, but to say thank you. And Father, I'm going to go further than that. I'm going to seek out community, true community, doing life together with people, with your church family. Father, we love you. We pray all these things today in the powerful name of Jesus.